And let's pray. Almighty God, you have given us your only begotten Son to take our nature upon him and to be born this day of a pure virgin. Grant that we who have been born again and made your children by adoption in grace may daily be renewed by your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ our Lord, to whom with you in the same Spirit be honor and glory now and forever. Amen. And now, Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, if uh, you are like me, you love Christmas. I remember as a little boy just loving Christmas. I would help my grandparents decorate their home for Christmas, and we would put out the light-up nativity scene in their front yard. And as I grew up and became a man, I bought my own nativity scene, and it's sitting outside of our home beaming with light uh, this day and, of course, this night as we celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is a magical time, especially for children. And I remember one Christmas getting a Christmas book, and this is not it. That book has been lost a long time ago, but this one, The Way to Bethlehem, is the very book I read to Simeon last night to put him to bed. And this book talks about Mary and Joseph making their way to Bethlehem from Nazareth. And I'm fascinated as I think about just the table of contents in this beautifully illustrated book because it runs through the Christmas story from the Annunciation, which is our gospel reading today, where the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says, you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus, and Jesus means Savior. Another translation of another gospel says, you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sin. This book compresses Christmas into just a short 30 pages and goes all the way to the slaughtering of the innocents. It covers Jesus' presentation in the temple and what we will celebrate in not one week, but 12 days when we look at uh, the wise men visiting Jesus, and that is the epiphany. We've managed somehow to collapse a nine-month pregnancy and a birth, and probably Jesus is two years old when the wise men come. I don't know if you knew that. The flight of, from Egypt is in here. Out of Egypt, I called my son. It's an age-old prophecy that uh, the Messiah would come out of Egypt somehow. Well, how does that happen? Well, an angel appears to Joseph in, in his sleep again, this time not to say, you're going to have a son, you're going to name him Jesus. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. This time, Herod is going to be a threat to your son. You need to flee to Egypt. We've just condensed all of that into this simplistic book. All the magic. We've compressed the timeline. This is only intensified when today is the fourth Sunday in Advent. 
But at the same time, it's Christmas. This evening, we celebrate Christmas Eve, and it enters us into the not one day, which we had as Baptists, but 12 days, which we have as, as Catholics and Anglicans and Orthodox. We have 12 full, beautiful days of celebration, and all our, our colors will turn white, and we will celebrate the Christmas season. And next Sunday is the first Sunday of Christmas, a full season. And Father Jerry is going to preach on the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. How, how do we compress all that into this celebration of Christmas? All that God is. Well, think about what God did when he compressed himself into an infant boy. I was uh, listening to a podcast this week, and the, the podcast host encouraged us to think about this. God had a birth weight. God had a birth weight. That's mind-blowing. That God took on human nature, fully human and fully God. That he humbled himself and became an embryo. That he was born into this world. And I love this song of Mary, be it unto me as you say, I am your servant. Mary preaches the most beautiful sermons. Think about when Jesus turned the water into wine, one of the greatest and shortest sermons you'll ever hear. Mary says, do whatever he tells you to do. I am a servant of the Lord, be unto me as you say it. Such Humility, such obedience. And Joseph too. Can you imagine? Your wife is pregnant, and she said it's a work of God. Your wife-to-be is pregnant, betrothed, considered a marriage in this culture. If they were to separate in this moment, they would need a divorce contract. But they are not yet lived together. They have not yet consummated their marriage, and yet this announcement that she is pregnant. But then we run straight to Bethlehem. What about the nine months, right, that it takes? And, and by the way, we, we have Mary like in labor. Uh, my favorite film is The Nativity. I don't know if you've seen that film. I highly recommend it to you during uh, the Christmas season, the 12 days of Christmas. You have 12 days, watch it, the nativity story. But one of the critiques in that movie is, oh, she's about to give birth. I mean, they're, Joseph and Mary are traveling on this donkey. Well, first, let's look at some of these scenes. I mean, this is Bethlehem, this is Nazareth, where the Annunciation takes place. So Nazareth is just a nowhere town. And this particular picture was taken in the 1900s, the early 1900s, and it looks kind of like a nowhere town here, but it was even more so in the first century when the angel Gabriel comes and tells Mary, and here again, sheep grazing on the Nazareth hillside. And you can see that this is a more developed city today. And the next picture will show you 
even more dense population. And you could see the church of the Annunciation, the church of Mary, right in the middle there. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to this city of Galilee, whose name was Nazareth. Nazareth means shoot or branch. When the Israelites were, were sent captive in Babylon in 586, uh, the Jew, Jewish people were taken captive into Babylon, and when they returned, they settled different parts of the Holy Land in Israel. And Joseph was actually from Bethlehem. It's the tribal land, the smallest of the tribal lands right in Judea, right south of Benjamin, which is the smallest, and Bethlehem is about five miles south of Jerusalem. And so when Joseph settles down as an adult, he settles in Nazareth. So when the census is called for, they have to go to his hometown, which is Bethlehem. What do you know about Bethlehem? That Bethlehem is the city of David. In our readings today, we, we talked about the kingship of David in the gospel reading as lasting forever, to be an eternal kingship which has no end. I'm going to give him the throne of his father, David. Well, how does Jesus have the right to the throne of David? Through his adopted father, Joseph who is of the clan of Natsor, which means shoot or branch. In other words, a branch of the lineage of David. This is why Jesus needs to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, but he's of Joseph's clan, which lineage traces back to King David. He has all the rights of an heir who is adopted into the family. So Jesus grows up in Branchville, Nazareth, of the clan of David. And this is all to fulfill what is spoken by the prophet. And here we get the scene of the virgin's fountain in Nazareth. And the virgin's fountain is the traditional place where they believe that Mary received this message. And here is an illustration of the Virgin's Fountain, the traditional place of the Annunciation. You can kind of get yourself into the story, similar to Simeon and I immersing ourselves in the story. So when my, I first got my Christmas book, it told the birth of Jesus. And I centered in on these wise men, and this is how it's illustrated here, these wise men making the journey to worship their king. But before we get to the wise men coming to meet Jesus, we have to see what this, this, uh, this journey entails. First of all, it's fulfilling Isaiah 7.14. And this is the great Isaiah scrolls from the Dead Sea, which was discovered by Bedouin shepherds. And when they compared these uh, 500 B.C. scripture passages on scrolls, they match perfectly what we have in Isaiah today 
And this says, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. This is um, fulfilling Isaiah 7.14. And the next slide, we see that Jesus comes in the lineage of King David. And then the next slide, another passage of the Isaiah scroll. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign forever and ever. Jesus will reign forever and ever. His kingship will have no end. Um, my friend Randall would sing this, and Randall's watching from us with St. James Episcopal Church in Haiti. Welcome, Randall, to you all in Haiti. I remember the Messiah in the library when you would invite the singers and you would sing, and he will reign forever and ever. Thank you, Randall, for your ministry of music and your ministry to the Haitian people. When you see me on my phone, I'm not just texting random people. We're having church over there, too. We've got people in Haiti worshiping with us and Florida and Maryland and South Carolina. Patricia, we see you. Thank you for joining us online. Well, God will give David David's throne to his son, and his kingship will have no end. Now, I'm going to kind of mess up Christmas for you a little bit, and I apologize in advance for that. Um, this comes, my source is uh, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes by Kenneth Bailey and uh, The Glorious Shameful Birth of Jesus by my rabbi, Doug Greenwald, who wrote the book we've been studying, Zechariah and Elizabeth. The next slide is going to show you what this must have looked like. When Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem, it's not just a quick journey. It's a three to four day, 100 mile journey from Nazareth, by foot from Nazareth to Bethlehem. She didn't do it when she's just about to give birth. That would not be wise. They're trying to make the census that Caesar Augustus have, has given the, the command that everyone should go to their hometown. Uh, Joseph's hometown is Bethlehem of Judea, David's city. It is a place that does two things very well. Number one, it raises temple sheep for sacrifice at Passover. Number two, it is a bread basket, similar to Ukraine, which is like the bread basket of the world, um, the producer of grain and wheat, and we, we pray for Ukraine who's still in war. Um, without the Ukrainian grain supplies in Africa, people are starving and have food supply issues. And we remember that even as we reflect on this. Bethlehem is often called the house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means. It, it's the house of bread. Why? Because there are wheat fields everywhere. Now, the thing about wheat fields is while the wheat is planted and while the wheat is growing and before harvest, you can't have any sheep in the fields. Now, what did I just tell you? That, that Bethlehem is also raising hundreds of thousands of lambs to be slaughtered at Passover. So where are these sheep and lambs? They're out on the mountainside and the hillsides. 
not to disturb the fields. Now listen to what you have heard a million times before. Now there were shepherds abiding in their fields by night. That's a clue that this is after the harvest, most likely June or July, which brings the question you're asking in your head right now, which my daughter just asked, well, why are we celebrating it in December in the winter? Then <laughs> It's a good question. Uh, because uh, this time of year uh, is a, a, a Christian response to some pagan festivals in the wintertime. But in actuality, the context of the Bible tells us that if there are shepherds out in the fields, this is uh, what shepherds do when they are allowed to after the harvest. You see, if I own wheat fields, I want the shepherds to come in and clean up the, the fallen stalks after the harvest um, to leave behind their parting gifts. Uh, <laughs> that's tactful enough to fertilize the fields, right? And so this is the picture. Now, caves like this are not just out in the hillside. They're attached to homes. These are called catalumas. Now, you're in a culture of mandatory hospitality where no matter what, if you are family, you are to show hospitality to your family. Now, Bethlehem has just exploded in population because everyone's come back for the census, right? So there are people everywhere. Now, maybe you're experiencing this in your home because you have family over for Christmas, and now your once comfortable home is now a little crowded, right? Now, what happens if you're uh, already being hospitable and somebody knocks on your door and says, we're here to stay with you? Number one, you cannot refuse your guests. You must invite them into your home. But what if there's no room for them in the guest room, not the Motel 6? There is no hotel scenario here. This is someone's home. The word is cataluma. You can't stay in the guest room, but you can stay in the sheep pen or the cataluma, the animal, because the animals, believe it or not, would come into the home, not the large herds and flocks that would be grazing in the hillsides. No, they're with the shepherds, but the, the one cow you might have or the goats that you might have, the chickens, the animals, you don't want other animals to kill them, so you bring them into your home to protect them, and they add heat to your home. So there's a lower part of the home or a dugout into the side of a mountain, and here, where you build your home, you would also have a place for your animals to heat your home and protect your animals, and this is all a part of the house. Now, is Mary and Joseph's family... Um, Inhospitable? No, but it, it, there's some tension there. Why? Because if you show up with your pregnant wife or wife-to-be, you're assuming something. You got married and you didn't invite me? Clearly that's what happened because she's pregnant, right? Now, if you're Joseph and Mary, how do you explain that one? No, 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 there wasn't a wedding feast. There, there wasn't a wedding? whoa, and she's about to give birth. And with birth comes bodily fluids, which would make the household impure or unclean. So we're going to put you where it's already unclean 
with the animals in the Cataluma in the house. Why? Number one, there's no room. Number two, there, it's about to be impure. Number three, there was no wedding feast. And if there was, you didn't invite us. Is there tension? Yes. Is there hospitality? Yes. Now, I know you didn't grow up with this understanding necessarily of the Christmas narrative. You've had it compressed to you very quickly in a very different way. But this is the context. The next slide will show you that Jesus, when he is born, he's wrapped in swaddling clothes and he's laid in a manger. Now, there are two types of mangers. There's stone mangers like this one carved out of solid limestone, and there's clay mangers made out of clay, dung, and straw, and dried. And these are feeding troughs for animals. Now, some light bulbs should be going off in your head right now. And if they're not, let me make some connections for you. Jesus, the bread of life, is born in the house of bread and he's laid in a feeding trough for animals. Jesus is laid in a borrowed manger. He's wrapped with swaddling clothes, strips of linen. Why are there swaddling clothes everywhere? Why are there strips of linen? Well, if you were offering lambs to be sacrificed in the temple at Passover, they have to be without blemish. So if I want to protect my lambs from having any blemishes on their legs, I will wrap them with strips of cloth. Also, strips of cloth are used to embalm and bury someone. Remember when Jesus is crucified, he's laid in a borrowed tomb, and they wrap him in grave cloths and spices. The women go back to add the spices, but there he is wrapped and laid, as is custom. In a borrowed tomb, Jesus begins his life in a borrowed manger and ends his life in a borrowed tomb, wrapped in swaddling clothes and wrapped in grave cloths. Jesus, the bread of life, is laid in a humble manger, a borrowed manger, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And so here we see the scene, potentially, this nativity scene recreated in the native home near Bethlehem. Jesus, the bread of life, offered in the house of bread in a feeding trough one of the most humblest entries into the world. God compressed into human form, much like we compress his life into a moment on a Christmas Eve service. My prayer for us is that we don't lose the magic of this season, the mystery of it is what I mean by that, the power of it, the joy of it, the mystical experience of it, that God took on human flesh, that God had a birth weight, 
that God takes on human form. The greatest gift ever given, wrapped in the humblest of boxes of a manger, wrapped in the humblest of wrappings, swaddling clothes, strips of linen. He came into the world this way, and he will go out of the world this way in a borrowed tomb in strips of linen. Why? To be the bread of life that whosoever feedeth on him should live forever. That for whosoever receiveth this gift, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's not run through Christmas. Let's savor it these next 12 days and for all of our lives daily. As we receive the Eucharist, may we remember that Jesus is the bread of life who was born in Bethlehem, the house of bread, to feed you, to nourish you, to give you life, mind, body, and spirit. He was born to die for you. He became compressed into the smallest potential life to give the largest potential life for you if you welcome him in, if you receive this gift, if you feed on him in your hearts by faith and with thanksgiving. I offer you these words in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Merry Christmas. Let's worship him.